way, the truth, and the life. And so we pray by your Spirit, show us the way. Reveal to us your truth and lead us into new life. Confront us, convict us, and challenge us by your word. And by your Spirit, Lord, change us that we, we would be conformed to the image of you. Bless us in this time as we turn our hearts to you. Amen. Our scripture passage today is not in the gospel according to John as we have been in since, uh, I guess, the beginning of the year. We're going to flip over to the gospel according to Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Listen now to God's word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, that's Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no, no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, the, that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The words of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Without hearing that passage of scripture, if I were to ask some people, what is the greatest commandment? You know, some people might say, well, do unto others as you would have them do to you. You know, the great golden rule. It's a good one. Also something that that Jesus mentioned. But not quite the greatest of all commandments. Um, I remember growing up, and I probably maybe would have answered this question, or what is the greatest commandment? Well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I got that a lot uh, with me and my brother. Um, Others might say, you know, maybe a little more on the silly note, thou shalt not leave the toilet seat up, or thou shalt not eat the yellow snow. I mean, there's, there's definitely some golden rules to live by, but... The greatest commandment, I bet every you know, professing Christian and even those that aren't Christians would maybe recite this word, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the first thing that I wanted to say about Jesus' words here is that he didn't just make up these words on the spot. Uh, what Jesus said was very scriptural. He was quoting from the Old Testament, which at that time it wasn't really the Old Testament because there really wasn't a New Testament yet because nothing had been written in the New Testament. Jesus, Jesus himself was kind of the New Testament. So Jesus was just quoting from, at that point, the scriptures, right? And he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And in this section of Deuteronomy, it's an important uh, section in Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. And it's called that because the first word in verse of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear. And so Shema ye Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, and it it goes on from there in in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
But the Shema is something that even practicing Jews still uh, pray this. They recite this even today in their morning and evening prayers. And it's been uh, a practice that has gone on for thousands of years. The, uh, the first century Jewish historian named Josephus even mentions this practice way back then, that in the mornings and in the evenings they would recite the Shema. So these words were scripture. These words were grounded upon something. And, and even the second greatest commandment that Jesus gives is also a quote from scripture, from Levi- Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One reason I mention this uh, first is to say that Jesus was grounded in Scripture. I don't know if sometimes we, we think about that. I think we maybe overlook that detail sometimes because we think Jesus was, was this rebel. He, we think that he was this leader of this new movement. He was the Son of God. So everything he said was, was his own Scripture. But Jesus was grounded in the Scriptures. And the second thing that I wanted to mention is that Jesus' answer shows us his understanding of the whole law, of what all the law was. If you think about the Ten Commandments, right, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, I'm not going to read through them all, but if you think about the first four commandments, they have to do with our relationship with God, our love for God. If you think about the last six commandments, they have to do with our relationship with others, with our neighbor. And so Jesus understood that all of the law and all of the prophets boil down to this single command to love, to love God and to love one another. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to take a week at a time and focus on what it means to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. But even as we been, begin today, I want to just kind of make a prefatory note that these ideas of heart, soul, mind and strength aren't altogether distinct from one another as if they were kind of nice neat buckets and this kind of fits in to these nice neat um, uh, compartments they have a lot of overlap within them so ideas of heart and soul and mind and strength they they share a lot of distinct characteristics and i just want us to keep that in mind because really what's what's behind it all The message of the whole verse is that we love God with our all. If we look at the the verse again, that's that's up on the screen there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the emphasis. Loving God with our all. If that's all the verse said is just to love the Lord your God with your all, that would say enough. That's what's meant here. But I think it is helpful for us uh, to think about ways in which we can love God, maybe in kind of more topical or categorical ways of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Now, I also want to, along with that, is not just say, okay, love God, you know, good luck, go do that. But to talk about practical ways in which we can live out our love for God. So that's something else I hope to do over the next few weeks. And I hope it ties in well with uh, the season of Lent that we're in. You know, because Lent is about drawing near to God. It's about preparing ourselves for the cross and for Easter Sunday. It's, It's about drawing near and deepening our love for God. So as we look at this verse and what it means to love God with all of our heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. I, I hope it uh, ties in nicely with, uh, with Lent this year. So what does it mean to love God with all your heart? All right, so the word heart, it's an interesting word in the Bible. Um, you know, it's obvious that when we read that, to love God with all your heart, it's not really meaning just love God with this organ that pumps blood through your body. You know, it's not like the physical thing. It's, it's the, the meaningful thing behind the word. It's love God with all of our inner self. Love God with who you are at the core. You think about the word core, you might think, you know, core of the earth or core of an apple. Well, that word core comes from the Latin word that means heart. It's where we get uh, words like coronary and cordial and even courage. They all have that root word that means from the heart. The heart is the core. It's the, the locus of our inner being. It's the, it's the center place of our passions and our personalities and our deepest affections and feelings and our inner thinking and our mor- morality. It's the, the, most, it's the deepest and most kind of individual personal thing about us, our heart. When we talk about someone being heartbroken, I mean really heartbroken, we're describing someone that's experiencing that, that deep suffering. I think we've all experienced being heartbroken in one way or another. I'm not talking about just junior high love, right? But like actually being like really heartbroken in, in a way that it affects all the rest of you. Your emotions, your thinking, your, your bodies, you ache, you're in pain. I mean, I think we would much rather suffer a broken arm than really be uh, suffering from a broken heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So back to our text, this first line. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love God with all of your inner self, your being. That means to be devoted to God in the deepest way. To to devote yourself exclusively to the Lord. It's a call to honor the covenant relationship with God. And it might be weird for us to think about our relationship with God in terms of a marriage, but that's that's kind of what the, the Bible describes, that God has married himself to us in this covenant. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And in the Old Testament, when Israel disobeyed God, you know, especially when it came to them worshiping other gods, the the prophets spoke about it in terms of adultery, in terms of violating their faithfulness to God in that way. One way to think about what it means to love God with all of our heart is to, to think about the Ten Commandments again in the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 You shall have no other gods before me. Let nothing in your life have a higher place than God. Let God alone be the supreme ruler of your life. And we ought to hear these words also from Isaiah 45. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who formed the earth and made it, I am the Lord and there is no other. It's just me. To give our hearts to anything other than God, is to commit spiritual adultery. And so we are to wed our hearts to the Lord faithfully and joyfully as we worship him alone. 
But yet, as we know, we do give our hearts to other things, to lesser things. Our hearts have been radically corrupted by sin. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10 uh, warns us about the corruption of the heart. It says, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. You know, we live in a world that's, that's kind of the motto is just, uh, you know, above all else, just, just follow your heart. And while that is at times, you know, sometimes good advice if we're, we're following our heart in the way that is aligned with God's will and God's call for our lives, but many times that idea of just follow your heart is misguided because our hearts are, are broken, are flawed. Because we've taken that to mean, well, just do anything you want. Follow your own desires, your own impulses. Do what you think just feels right. We forget that our desires from our broken heart are often sinful. And so if our hearts are corrupted, how? How can we love God with all of our hearts? Well, the first thing, I think, is just to acknowledge our brokenness. Like how David displayed uh, or showed us in Psalm 51, which, which Psalm 51 is his prayer to God after his adultery with Bathsheba. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. If our hearts are corrupted, we can pour out our brokenness to God and then lean on the promises of God, like what God says in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In a way, we get a heart transplant by the promises of God. And this comes through our faith that Jesus is Lord. As Paul says in Romans 10, the word is near you, on your lips, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. With our heart transplant, our new life in Christ, then we can live as God's people here and now, in the new life and the new hope that we have. As Hebrews 10 tells us, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. God delivers on his promises. He restores our life. He gives us a new heart through our faith in Christ and with that new heart, we can approach God with confidence, with assurance, with peace, and with hope for our lives ahead. 
In summary to all that, to love God with all of our heart begins with the gospel. It begins with the cross. And through Jesus Christ, our hearts are cleansed and our relationship with God is restored. And we love, John said, because God first loved us. So now for those in Christ, how do we then grow in our love for God? This is, this is kind of the, the application part. This is the practical part. How do we grow in our love for God with all of our heart? What practices ought we consider putting into place? And I'm going to keep it simple this morning because I know we've got communion. We've got a new member reception out there. So I'm going to just two things for this morning. Two things to consider putting into place in your own life. And that is the practice of simplicity. You might not think of simplicity as a spiritual discipline or something to, to do in our spiritual lives, but I am more and more convinced that especially in this day and age, in this country in which we live, what people need, and especially even us Christians and especially those with kids in our households, we need to focus on some simplicity. We live in a culture that is just frantically chasing more and more and more. We're ravenous consumers. Our society lives for more wealth, more stuff, more gadgets, more appliances and cars and TVs. People crave more status and more followers and more views and more likes. We consume more shows nowadays. I mean, we, binge watching is a normal thing. We schedule more activities, more sports, more practices, more clubs. We feel like we can barely keep up. We look at our weekly calendar and it's full. But yet we continue to put more on our plate. Our to-do list keeps getting a little longer. And the more there is, the more complicated life gets. The more messy and cluttered and crowded and just exhausting it gets. We're spread thin. Kind of the, the paradox with this, with consuming more is that the more that we consume, the more that we are consumed with our own lives. The more that we allow our lives to be consumed with more, also the more divided our hearts become. It's like Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. He prays for an undivided heart. Think about what that means. Because when we have so many things pulling at our lives and our affections are going in so many different directions, it, it's, it's like it just pulls our heart apart. It spreads us thin and it divides us. What he prays for is an undivided heart. A heart that is whole and a heart that is focused on glorifying God to love God with all of our heart, we need an undivided heart. So not only are we pulled in so many different directions and we try to keep up with so many demands upon us, our affections go to so many different things. Are we drawn away from God because of competing things or activities or even people? And this is not to say that all those things and activities or people are, are bad, but we ought to question what we truly worship what we truly hold most valuable, and really take an honest look at that in our lives. Do we treat certain things, certain activities, certain people as objects of our worship? 
Maybe it's even our image, you know, our Facebook image or whatever it might be. Do they hold our hearts captive more than God does? We ought to take a sober look at our calendars each week and see how we spend the precious time that God has given us. We ought to look at our spending and see where our money goes. We ought to consider what we really prize and value most because to walk in God's faithfulness and to love God with all of our heart means that we confront ourselves to our own idols. When life is too crowded, there's times that we need to do something about it. You know, just like when our, our plants, maybe this time of year, maybe, maybe it's a little late, I don't know, I'm not an expert gardener, but you know, you got to do a little pruning every now and again. And it, sometimes it's hard to prune because you're like, I don't want to trim it back because then it looks kind of awkward and weird, but there's a point to the pruning, pruning because it's better for the plant. It's healthier for the plant. It grows fuller and richer and more fruitful. Sometimes we need to prune our own lives a bit. It can be hard, but we need it. It's good for us. It's good for our growth. It's good for our spiritual health. In our daily lives, we should seek to live with more simplicity. We don't always need the next thing. We don't always need to keep ourselves so busy that we don't even have time just to sit and rest in God's presence. We don't need to binge watch the latest series. Those things don't do anything for our souls. Richard Foster writes, Simplicity is freedom. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. And then he continues, The Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. When we are walking in God's faithfulness, our hearts are not burdened so much by the demands and the complexities of all the world around us and all the things that we pile onto our lives. When that inner change has occurred, when we simplify our lives to focus on loving God with all of our heart, naturally our outward ways, our outward lives, the things that we do, the things that we value, begin to change. Our perspective changes you know, since we're in the, the season of Lent, many people fast uh, from something during Lent. You know, they might give up, uh, whatever it might be. There's lots of different options out there. I know people do. But fasting is, in a way, it's a form of simplicity. It's a form of taking something out of your life in order to focus more intently on God. Foster writes this about, about fasting. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. Fasting helps us keep our balance in life. How easily we begin to allow non-essentials to take precedence in our lives. How quickly we crave things we do not need until we are already enslaved by them. Practice simplicity. How can you simplify your life to better prioritize your faith and love for God? Another practice for how we can grow in our love for God is the second thing, so we're almost, we're getting close to the end here. The practice of generosity, of giving from the heart, of not seeking the the inward, but the giving of the outward. 
you know, how we manage our, our resources, our, our finances, can tell us a lot about the condition of our hearts. And I know money is a sensitive subject. You know, it's a very personal thing to us. Um, Billy Graham once said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I will tell you where their heart is. I don't know if I'd want to give Billy Graham a checkbook because he might <laughs> convict me of some things there. But uh, he also said a checkbook is a theological document. It will tell you who and what you worship. There's a lot of truth to that. It's true that what we invest in, you know, those things that we give up of our, our time, our energy, and our money, that will tell us what we care most about. Jesus says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God's characteristic, or God's character is one of generosity. I mean, all of creation, everything around us in creation that God has made is a display of his generosity. Our lives, that you have breath in your lungs, is a display of God's generosity. The cross, our salvation through Jesus Christ, is the ultimate display of God's generosity. To love God with all of our heart is to reflect God's generosity in our own lives. And that generosity ought to be something that we do freely and joyously as Paul encourages the Corinthians. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Practicing generosity. Letting go of those things that we'd kind of rather hoard for ourselves or have for ourselves in order to bless someone else or something else what we need in our lives. Practicing generosity and simplicity are ways in which we can actively place our trust in God and express our devotion for the love of God. I'll end with this. Remember that the root word in courage, and the word courage is heart. Live out your love for God with courage. It does take courage. It takes courage in, in the world in which we live. It takes courage to say no to some things that maybe we'd rather not say no to. Live out your love for God with heart, with courage. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your love for us.